0: Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. How many here, I'm looking around, uh, just a couple of you, who, who here doesn't yet drive? right? You don't, you're, you've yet to drive. I know there's a few of you in here. Okay. All right. So here's the thing. When you don't yet drive, you tend to see driving as like one of the ultimate symbols of freedom. Okay. That wasn't the question I was going to ask. We're going to get there in a second, but I, I, I messed her up because I said I was going to ask just one question and I'm going to ask multiple questions. Um, but here's the thing. When you, when you aren't driving, you tend to think, Like, this is freedom. If I could only have my own ability to go where I want to go, or at least where I want to go that my parents will let me go, right? If I had that, man, then I would be free. But here's something I want you to know. For you that have yet to drive, okay? And and I think the rest of us who do drive, uh, maybe this will resonate with you. Have you ever noticed that when you drive, you get bossed around a lot, okay? There's a lot of being bossed around, when you are driving. Okay, now I want you to take a look, right? Look, think about the, the signs that we see, right? Stop, yield, do not enter, buckle up, be alert for bears, <laughs> make sure to teeter-totter, right? There's a lot of, a lot of signs that we get, we get bossed around by. Now, maybe not so much so often, those last two, but signs are everywhere, and and they're conspiring to get us to do things. They're, they're biased. Right? Let's be honest. Those signs are biased. And they're seeking to persuade us to not just adjust our thinking, but to get us to do something. Okay? They have a specific angle trying to get us to do something. And that would seem very annoying, maybe very you know, authoritarian, except that most often they're right And it's a really good thing that we would follow what the sign has to say, right? They're incredibly helpful. And today we're starting a journey through John's gospel. We're going to look at the gospel of John. And I've used that language of a journey very intentionally because the fourth gospel, John's gospel, is marked especially by signs. And those signs are meant to lead us on a journey to a particular destination. And so as we get started, I want to acknowledge that just because uh, John wants to be persuasive doesn't mean he's not telling the truth, okay? I want us to just think about that for a second and recognize that just because somebody's trying to be persuasive does not mean that they're lying to us, okay? You can be persuasive and truthful at the same time. Now, we have plenty of examples and occasions where somebody's being persuasive and deceptive. But, but I'm coming to you to say, I believe John is being, he seeks to be persuasive, but he's in no way trying to be Deceptive. He's telling the truth. And so today, as an introduction to our journey, I want us to to dive into a very special characteristic of John's gospel. It's unique in this way. He gives a very clear statement of what he's up to. I mean, you, you can read the other gospels and know what they have in mind. But John is very explicit in terms of why he has written what he's written. I want you to listen to John's description of why he, by the inspiration, and instruction of God, the Holy Spirit, wrote the book that bears his name. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, and it tells us this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so as we begin our journey through John's gospel, I'm going to start today by acknowledging the nature of the journey that we're about to embark on, getting a glimpse of the route that we're taking, as well as the destination we're pursuing. I think that's what John tells us here is the nature of the journey, uh, the route we're taking, and the destination that we're pursuing. And so I just want to, we're just going to walk through this. You see kind of a statement that keeps on going down the page if you're following along with the notes sheet there. But first off, what is John's gospel? John's gospel, first, I want us to see, is a secondhand experience. It's a second-hand experience. And what do I mean? Notice that John says, he talks about here, what has been written in this book. Okay? He's talking about what is written. And when we read, if you're reading on the screen, or if you've got your Bible with you and you're, you're looking at that either on a, a device or, or in paper form, when you're reading, what you're reading is the Bible, and it is a second-hand experience. Okay, so big picture, what is the Bible? Well, you're talking about a collection. It's a book, but it's a collection of books, 66 books, written over 1,500 years on multiple continents by 40 different authors with diverse backgrounds, and it's written in a variety of genres, okay, all kinds of different types of literature when you read the Bible, but know this, what we believe as Christ followers is that it is to convey one message, one big message, given by one messenger. And that is God himself. You so God using these human authors to say what he wanted us to know, to reveal himself to us. And so God has worked especially in specific times and places in history and entrusted those who were there to take us into those events and take us into what was taking place at those times and among those people. It's meant to be a secondhand experience. God acknowledges, you aren't there, and yet I want you to know what's happened. I want you to go with me to these times, into these places, into these situations, I want you to hear what, what my people have been thinking and how they have been responding to me, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So that's what we're doing when we come to the Bible is, is God is entrusting this second hand experience to be enough. He's not just kind of putting all of humanity in this perpetual groundhog day. Well, I'll take a few of you through this. Now we'll start it all back over, get the rest of you caught up and just so on and so on. He's working through the sweep of human history and then gives us the Bible to help us understand what he's been doing and what he will do. So that's the first thing when we talk about it being a second-hand experience. But then notice that this is something, these are things that took place among the disciples. So there's an acknowledgment by John saying, look, I, I was there, I, this is what I saw. And so it, it begs this question, well, who's leading the journey, right? Who is this guy? John, what are his credentials? Why are we listening to what John has to say? It says in John 19:35. This is where John gets, and this happens a couple times as you read through. He gets, we some would say shy. It's it's odd because of the way we tend to think about revealing yourself in your writing. He, he talks in the third person, and this is not like, you know, some athlete talking in the third person to prop himself up, like how great he is, right? You know, LeBron is just really great, because, you know, LeBron is just going to do what LeBron's got to do. You know, that, that, not that kind of thing, okay? But this is what he says. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. John says, look, you should listen to me, okay? You know... I was there, you should listen to what I'm telling you. Who is John? Well, we we know this. He's the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. He was a fisherman. Before Jesus finds him, he's a fisherman. Plugging away, good old guy just trying to make a living, okay? Get things done. He's a fisherman. Later we learn a little bit about his character. He's, He's dubbed one of the sons of thunder, which is to say he can get riled up. He gets a little excitable at times. And, and in a way that Jesus has to, to kind of rein in and say, whoa, 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 no, we're not calling down fire from heaven. Stop that. Like, no, that's not what we're about. We've got to do something else. Okay. So he gets a little riled up at times. But then we also come to learn that he's known as the beloved disciple. John was young when Jesus calls him. Probably his mid-teens, maybe late, later teens, but you know, so 15 to 18 years old when Jesus calls him to come and learn, to to come and be an apprentice of Jesus, to to learn from him. What we see is over time, as he grows and develops, he becomes known as the beloved disciple. And, And part of that is that he was trustworthy. So trustworthy, in fact, that when Jesus is on the cross preparing to, I mean, dying and knowing what is in store for himself, he entrusts John to take care of his aging mother. He gives him the responsibility to take care of his aging mother. He's trustworthy. We also know him, most importantly here, as the Apostle John. He is one of these men that God, that Jesus entrusted to help see this movement, more than a movement, see this new reality move forward in history after Jesus returned to the right hand of the Father. And so he is faithful. He's a writer of five books of the New Testament, including his gospel, three letters, and the revelation in, in his later years where God gives him this grand understanding and vision of, of kind of what's going to take place, really a, a book about worship and how God will be worshiped for all time, what that will look like. Okay, so, so here's John. I think we have good reason to listen to him. Okay, He's the one leading us on this secondhand experience. So John's gospel is a secondhand experience, and it's marked by carefully chosen signs. He says, look, I've carefully chosen the signs that you're going to read about. So what is a sign? We, we tend to know. Is, it, you know. is it just like the pictures of the signs that we saw earlier? A little different. What we find is Jesus' life and ministry were marked by these signs. John 21, 25. John tells us this at the very end. There were also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the book's that would be written. Okay? Now, this is important to understand. Jesus did all kinds of stuff that we will not know about until much later. At some point, I'm sure part of being with God for all eternity will be, like, hey, look, let's look back. Let's look at you know, play the reels that we don't even have. I don't know if it's if it's you know, uh, the, the old reel projectors or digital. I don't know. It's going to be even better than all of that. Okay, but but God's saying, look, I want you to see everything that Jesus did. But for now. He says, I've carefully chosen these signs. These are things that you need to understand about. And so it's important to know that when Jesus is doing stuff, the things that we're reading about, they're carefully chosen. They're there for a reason. This is not simply, Jesus wasn't going around simply you know, creating an audition tape for Israel's Got Talent. That's not what was happening. Okay, There was far more going on here. What is it? Well, All the signs that Jesus did were for this purpose. They were a demonstration of God's work in the world. They were demonstrating that God is working in the world. But they were there to signify and testify to the identity and authority of Jesus. These signs were meant to help us understand that Jesus was no mere man. He had authority. He he was somebody different. And so to understand, well, what kind of authority does he have? That's what these signs are about, and they're carefully chosen. Again, all signs are meant to lead you to believe, but these have been carefully included with a specific goal in mind. As we read John, we we learn from Jesus. We hear Jesus describing uh, himself, telling us about his identity. We, We learn that he is the way and the truth and the life, that he is the resurrection, that he's the vine, he's the good shepherd. The light, the bread of life, he's all these things. But all of those titles point to this big picture of what John wants us to understand. Okay, so again, John's gospel, secondhand experience, marked by these carefully chosen signs. But what are they for? They're intended to help us believe. They're intended to help us believe. And they're intended to help us believe firsthand, okay, just really quickly here. Remember, Bible's a secondhand experience, but God wants us to believe firsthand. He wants to help us understand, even now, 2,000 plus years after the time when Jesus was on the earth in this special way, believe firsthand what he's up to and to trust him. And what does he want us to believe firsthand? He wants to help us believe that Jesus is uniquely qualified. He wants us to know this about Jesus. He is uniquely qualified. Now, what do I mean, uniquely qualified? Maybe you've been in hiring or had something to do with with interviewing people, and uh, you, you say, oh, yeah, I've, I've got this uniquely qualified candidate for this thing. And, and you think about that, right? Unique is one of those words that I bristle out a little bit because it's really hard to be unique. Okay, that's, that's I mean, you can be distinct, but unique, yeah, there's probably somebody else somewhere. Now, in, in your pool, maybe they are uniquely qualified. But, but here's the thing. I, w- I started thinking about this. What if you, I want you to just kind of have this, this exercise with me. You know, it would be very practical here. What if you needed a venomous semi-aquatic mammal to play 80s synth rock? Okay, what what if that's what you were looking for? Okay, you hear me? A venomous semi-aquatic mammal to help you play 80s synth rock. Okay, if that was your goal, if you were saying, and I know that's something you've thought about a lot this week, okay, if that was your goal, then a beaver with an electric guitar would not qualify. Okay? It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't qualify. Semi-aquatic, mammal, yes. You, you can have an electric guitar for 80s synth rock. Beavers aren't venomous. At the same time, a, a duck with a keyboard would also not work. Okay? Semi-aquatic, not a mammal, not venomous. Keyboard, okay, we can use that in 80s synth rock. But again, neither of these work. But a duck-billed platypus with a keytar he would fit the bill, okay? That would be the uniquely qualified item that could accomplish what we're looking for, okay? Yeah, this is where my brain works, okay? So, no, I, I found that and thought, well, that's uniquely qualified. Okay, uniquely qualified, the duck platypus playing the guitar. That would be a venomous, I didn't know this, but they're venomous, semi-aquatic mammal able to play 80s synth rock. You're talking about something that is unique. There's a unique qualification there. And what John wants to show you is that Jesus is the one, the Israelites and the whole world has been waiting for. He uses these two terms. The first, the Christ. He says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. That means anointed one. And it's the designation given to a king. Okay? It's the designation given to a king. The entire Jewish faith is built upon the anticipation of of the Messiah. John 7 31, there's this account, there's this, this encounter with Jesus. And, and I want you to listen to what, what's said and the, the key question that's asked. Many from the crowd believed in him. And they believed in him and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? See, people understood that there's somebody gonna come and he's gonna do some, some things that are gonna blow our minds, and we think that will be the Messiah. They were waiting for him. And so as Jesus is doing his ministry, there are people going, whoa, I, I think maybe, maybe he's it. Now, at the same time, what they were expecting was a political ruler who would reestablish Israel's national dominance, okay? So they're happy to see the signs, and they're thinking in their minds, you know, we've, we've had a rough go of it these last you know, couple hundred years. We had that Maccabean revolt. That was helpful, kind of got some things straightened out. But man, as far as being a national power, we're, we're down in the dumps. But the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to restore our national prominence in the world. That was their idea of the Messiah. And so the key question is being asked of Jesus. Does he fit the bill? Does he fit? Is he the one? And the answer is, yeah, he fits the bill perfectly. Just not exactly the bill that they had in mind. He is the king. But he's bringing a different kind of kingdom. Because... Jesus is not just the Messiah. He is the Messiah, but he's not just the Messiah. He is the Son of God. I want you to listen to two of the most well-known statements from John's Gospel. If you never read John's Gospel, you've probably heard something along these lines at some point. John 1.14. Speaking of Jesus, we're told, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son. This is a special term. One and only Son. What does this mean? He is the Son of God. And what, what that means is that he is two things. He is a special Son. He is a special Son. Jesus comes, he, his Father is God. He is That is, his Father in heaven. And he is the unique, one-of-a-kind son who distinctly relates to the Father as a son. Now, Christ followers, we, be, we can become sons and daughters of God, but it's a different kind, there's a different quality to our sonship. Jesus is, is uniquely qualified, he, but he is a special son. He is also God himself. When we hear the term son of God, it means, yes, he's relating to the Father as a son, but he is all it also is a claim that he is God Himself. Jesus' claim to be the Son of God was clearly understood as a claim to be God. And there were plenty of people, none too happy about it. I want you to listen to this encounter. John 10. He says explicitly, he says, I and the Father are one. And again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. So Jesus replied, I've shown you many good works. I've been doing these signs, showing you who I am. Works, and they're from the Father. He's trying to help you get the message. For which of these works are you stoning me? And they say, we aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay, if you ever encounter... Either in talking to a person or you encounter it somehow in media or something you read, and somebody says, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's just something that a bunch of people who had an agenda all created later on. Understand this. That's because you are reading the Bible as a 21st century Westerner and you have your own bias. There is no doubt. That when Jesus comes on the scene and he begins doing the things that he's doing and saying the things that he's saying, that, every, that the people there are upset at him, not, because, not simply because he's a threat to their power. That was part of it. But he, they, are, they are upset at him because he has made a claim to be God. There was no confusion. We can be confused today, but they were not confused at this time. They knew that's what he was getting at, and they didn't like it. That's the claim Jesus is making about himself. He is the Father's Son, and he is also like the Father in every way. And this is a unique thing in all the universe. You say, well, what, what else is like? Nothing. This is when we talk about the Trinity, which is not a word in the Bible, but it's a concept that we see very clearly in a number of places as we, we read the Bible. We understand that there's this unique kind of relationship, that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is unique. Again, it it doesn't, you say, oh, it's kind of like this? Is it like water? Is it like a three-length clover? Is it all these analogies over the, no, it's not. Because those things fall short of what it really is. It's something unique. Actually, like literally, literally unique. Not just kind of unique. Unique. He is both Son and God. He is the Son of God. Now, why does this matter? Why why do we need to? Why, why is it important to John for us to believe this? And again, in other words, if a duck billed platypus is uniquely qualified to be a uh, with a guitar is uniquely qualified to be a venomous semi aquatic mammal, able to play '80s synth rock, then what is Jesus uniquely qualified for? Right. That's that's the question. What is his unique qualification? What is it good for? Well, what we've, we've read already, what we've seen already, John's gospel, it's a secondhand experience marked by carefully chosen signs intended to help us believe firsthand that Jesus is uniquely qualified to give us life. He already had it there. He's uniquely qualified to give us life. John says, by believing you may have life in his name. This is where he starts his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 12, we're told this, to all who believe uh, To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. When you and I are born, right when, when that takes place, beginning of our lives, we're born. There are two things in play. Okay? And really when, when, a, when a child is conceived, there are these two things that are in play. Reference there in John 1. Desi- desire and descent. Desire and descent. When a child is conceived, it is conceived out of some kind of desire. Now, we're in a broken world. Sometimes that desire is awful and, and wrecked and terrible. In its best form, right, that, that child is conceived out of the desire of love. So the desire is in play when we're born. And then there's descent. You descend from Somebody, there are bloodlines. You and I, we, we have ancestry. We come from somewhere. In, in, in bloodlines, in that re- regard. So, so we're talking about, again, desire and descent. There's will and bloodline at play when somebody, when a child is conceived. Now Jesus tells us famously in John 3 that to trust him is to be born again. Right? To be born again. But what, we're, what we hear We see here in John 1, and what Jesus gets at in John 3, and what actually plays out in a number of other places in the book of John, is that to be born again this time is not to be born of blood, but of spirit. Okay, so a different kind of descent, and a different kind of desire, not from the muddy waters of human desire, but the pure stream of God's will. That says when you are reborn, something completely different. Similar background, but different. God is interested in giving us a wholly different sort of life. It's a kind of life defined by the hope of eternity. Again, Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the Messiah, which means that the, the nature of this life that he's giving us has to do with him being the king, being royal. You and I are adopted. We are reborn. We are adopted into a royal family. That's a quality of this kind of life that he's talking about. When he talks about eternal life, life in his name, it, it has to do with being a part of this royal family for all eternity, which is the second part, right? He is also uniquely qualified. He is the son of God, which is to say he is divine. He is God. And that is to say that this is a, an eternal kind of life. And the way this works, we tend to think of eternal as way out there, later. That's not the way the Bible speaks of eternity and eternal life. Jesus, again, in the Gospel of John, speaks of life here and now being eternal. Well, what happens is we trust Jesus, eternity breaks into our current life. We begin to experience some of what eternity will be like, not perfectly, not in all of its glory. But eternity breaks into the here and now. And and what we're gonna do over the next many weeks, these next eight weeks, is as we investigate these signs, we'll learn more and more about what does this look like for eternity to break into the here and now, to break into our today. What kind of signs was Jesus doing? Again, not just to show off, but to, to demonstrate something about himself and about the kind of life that he's come to bring. You and I, Jesus is offering you and I a different kind of life altogether. Again, different here and now and forever. But maybe you're not so sure. Right? Have you ever heard, the, ever heard the phrase, if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you? You ever heard that? I, I think I've heard it. I, we were talking this week, and I, I did a little research. You know where that comes from? I want you to meet George C. Parker. Okay, It's a fun picture. There's George C. Parker. George, old George. Okay. was an American con man in the, uh, I believe, 1800s, maybe turn of the century. American con man, and he is best known for his repeated successes selling the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. He also sold, at one point, the Statue of Liberty, which is why he's holding that. But, but he's especially known for selling the Brooklyn Bridge, sometimes multiple times in a week. Like multiple times in a week, he would sell the Brooklyn Bridge, and police would then have to come and deal with the unknowing immigrants that he had conned, who were attempting to erect toll booths so that they could gain their fortune from having bought this bridge. Right? That was the con. Hey, buy this bridge. You put a toll booth. Now everybody that goes across the bridge will have to pay you. You'll be rich. You'll find your new way in America, where the streets are made of cheese. Right? So, so. Old George just getting it done. Right? Conning everybody. Now, George is, as some would say, infamous, okay, he is, he's pretty infamous, but Parker was neither truly unique, there are other con men, in fact, as I was reading, there are other con men who sold massive buildings, I think somebody sold the Eiffel Tower, to, you know, at different points. This is not that unusual, actually. And here's the other thing, the reason that this is so bad is that Parker's not qualified to give what he offered. He didn't own these. Now, he he created this clever con by creating all kinds of documents that made it look like he had the authority to sell what he was selling. But, But he didn't. He wasn't qualified to give away what he was selling. And you and I, we may not be taken by the offer of buying a bridge. But today, you and I are constantly bombarded with offers to invest what we have in pursuit of a certain kind or quality of life. And the facts are, not only are those offers you know, all around, at one point or another, and really just by nature of the world in which we're born, you and I have all taken the bait. We've all bought into the false promises. Every other offer of life may sound attractive, but you have to ask, does the offerer have the authority to give what's being promised? When you're watching the commercials selling you a better life, do they have the authority to give you what's being promised? When you listen to messages suggesting that all it takes is this approach or that approach or selling this or giving away that, do the people offering you this kind of life, do they have the, the authority to offer that, to give you what's being promised? Now, here's the thing. Maybe. Maybe they do. But that's the second question. We must ask then, is it really what you want? Is it really worth what it will take to get it? Jesus is uniquely qualified to give you life. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. He's uniquely qualified to give you life. And so I want to conclude, as we get started on this journey and throughout, I want you to know that all signs will point in the same direction. They're pointing us at Jesus. And so the question, again, for today is, will you believe? Will you believe? And and I want to hit three, with that question, hit three particular groups. Okay, first off, if, if you're here, you say, I am a Christ follower. I have trusted Jesus to pay the price for my sin. I've, I've entrusted my life to him, transferred my trust to him. He's given me new life through his death and resurrection. Now, whether you are seasoned or starting out, whether you're soaring or struggling as a Christ follower, I want to ask you this. Will you allow yourself to be bossed around by the messages of media and your own flesh? will the authority on which you build your life be your reputation or your potential or your friends or your family or will king jesus who gave his life so you could be free from your sin be the authority of your life on a day in and day out basis will you believe will you trust him continue to trust him if you're here you say and you you'd identify yourself man i'm a skeptic i'm not so sure you may not be ready to accept Jesus' authority to give you life. I get that. So I want to ask you, would you simply accept that John and Jesus were real people? That these guys really lived? And, and then would you consider John's gospel? Would you take a second-hand journey with us that's been charted to persuade you with evidence? Okay, again, understand that. Hear that. There is an agenda. You, you come and read the Bible the writers of the Bible, they want you to believe. Now, that doesn't, it could mean they're being deceptive, but it doesn't necessarily. And so would you take a journey and consider the evidence that they've laid out for you? John, very explicitly, I've, I've showed you these things so that you will believe. If, if it's really bunk, if, if it really has nothing to do with you, then okay. At least you checked it out. You move on. Go Figure out something better. You shouldn't be afraid to look into what's here. Will you you take the journey? Will you at least explore? And then finally, for you guys that are a little younger, you students, I I just want to encourage you. You can think about some of the other things I've mentioned here, but for you specifically, will you believe that Jesus wants you to follow and learn from him, just like the young man John? John? He called this young man into a whole new kind of life. And so will you believe that he has a purpose for you in the same way that he had a purpose for that teenager John? And For all of us, I want to encourage you as we go through this to read John's gospel for yourself. Okay, so I've given you a, a, a little reading plan, Gospel of John in 40 days. This will take you, this is in, reading just on weekdays. It will get us all the way to the Friday before Easter. And I just want to invite you to to join along, read along with us, Um, read the the Gospel of John for yourself. If you want to read faster than that, great, you can do that. But I've tried to break it up into a, a number, just this manageable way to work through the Gospel of John as we make our way through this series. Looking forward to the journey together. Let's pray. Father, I do indeed thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you have worked in the world to allow us to know you. And I thank you that you didn't create us with curiosity, you didn't create us with senses, and then ask us to just throw all that out the window when it comes to trusting you. So I pray that as we explore your word, as we look at the things that Jesus has done and who he is, that you would help us to trust you for the first time and or more and more. Well, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day!